In this episode, I had the immense pleasure of sitting down with Ari from Aripakli. Ari is an extremely talented artist that specializes in 5th edition homebrew content. Not only is each piece of art hand-drawn, but each piece of art has a related theme for the month. So during this episode, we talk about his artistic style, the themes that he has on Patreon, on Discord, and how he got into playing Dungeons & Dragons. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to the podcast, whether it is on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or really wherever you listen to podcasts, be sure to subscribe. And without further ado, let's get into the episode. Hey folks, Brian here, and today I'm really excited to have KP from um, Ari Pakali. Uh, you are an artist, 5th edition homebrew is your specialty on Instagram. But honestly, we've had some great conversations about D&D in general, so I'm really excited to have you. I'm so thankful for you to be on the show. How are you today? I'm doing great. Hi there. I'm Ari, or KP. Well, folks, <laughs> if you're not following him already on Instagram, you should really check it out because uh, KP, you have some great designs and your artwork is really fantastic. I I really love what you do, your interpretation of fifth edition. Could you tell us how you started going into Dungeons and Dragons? What prompted you to start playing? Honestly, my story probably mirrors a lot of the more recent players. Um, It all started with a podcast. Um, So it's one of the three, which is Critical Role, Adventure Zone, or I think not another D&D podcast. So I started with Adventure Zone. Um, they got oh, nice. me into D&D. And I figured this seems like a really fun game to just play with your friends and really make weird things happen and just make everyone laugh. And I said, hey, why don't I DM a game? It went terribly, but I think everyone had fun and I kept doing it. And now I've been playing for a couple years maybe five that's awesome so when you started playing um first off what was your experience like entering into a story that was kind of not only your own but that of your friends and the dungeon master the first time it was rough (laughs) I get that. I, it can, uh, yeah, it, I can see that. So I had no experience with telling stories, um, let mm. alone vocalizing stories. I didn't have any improv experience. And okay. I didn't have a great understanding of the rules or any of the associated uh, equipment or figurines or anything like that. All I had was a big desire to recreate parts of Adventure Zone and see if that stuck. Okay. So so in that sense, you were really inspired by the show and wanted to kind of recreate your own version of it. In a way, yeah. That's awesome. That wasn't the best way to approach it, of course, because nothing is going to... You can't recreate improv. Sure, but but that but if you think about it, that was that's essentially how a modules run, right? When you pick up a module, 
you are essentially trying to recreate or create your own version of that module, however it ends up and however it turns out to be. That's a good Um, point. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I mean, I would say that you kind of like, think about it. Why would someone pick up the critical role? Like, you know, Wildmount or Exandria or any of these. Yeah. Or, or any of those, right. That we're trying to recreate our own versions of the, of that tale our story as our characters in that world in this beautiful world so yeah no that that totally makes sense so you mentioned (laughs) though that you transitioned into being a dungeon master how was that like i jumped right in in as a dm awesome that was just a deep end it was mostly a lot of talking Mm -hmm. endlessly um often aimlessly until i figure out what the next thing i should say was (laughs) <laughs> nice i Did think you prep every for dm it? starts out like this oh yeah for sure absolutely oh i had a i had a long long prep session i think i had like a really big sort of campaign in my head when i mm-hmm. first started doing that uh we didn't get to any of it of course because it was a pretty short session uh but i I did a lot of research on what the best practices were, what to prepare for. I had a couple of random encounter tables that I didn't use. I even had character voices that I prepared for. I don't think I used any of those either. <laughs> wow. So you just kind of went through, did you, did you kind of just feel what the environment was like when you were running it and then decide, okay, It's good that I have this, but I'm going to go the opposite way because of what's currently going on. Yeah, Uh, my group of friends were not what I, at least the way they interacted, was not what I imagined. So things took a different turn, was a very different vibe once we got together in the same table. No, that makes sense. And how long have y'all been uh, playing together? Was, Was it the first time that you have met these folks? Or was it, were you all playing beforehand together? I had been friends with them for a couple of years. Some of them have played before. Some of them have, it was their first time. And then it was our first time playing together as a group. I don't think each of us have played with each other in this game. So that was our first time together. And we only played it twice we only played two sessions and eventually that fizzled out pretty quick gotcha so um so when you said that it kind of fizzled out a little bit quick if you don't mind me asking did you find other people to play with or oh yeah okay okay gotcha and how did you do that i (laughs) i had other friends cool so you didn't have to reach out yeah i was relentlessly asking people if they wanted to play um and luckily, some of them said yes. That's awesome. And are you still playing with them? Yes. That's awesome. You see, I love hearing that because yeah, I've had a game for maybe up to three years now. I think it's coming to its third year. Oh wow! Okay, so so tell me about the world. Then has the how has the world transformed in those three years? Have the players really? did they dive into the world and try to make it their own or were they kind of letting you have a little bit more of the reins? I think their play style is more of the latter. Okay. Um, they, they like adventure. They like following an adventure 
um, they like encountering problems and solving them in sort of a more traditional video game sense. So I was sense. mostly holding their hand and leading them through the through the world, but I always have a, a couple open-ended areas where I just don't really know where it's going to go and see what they do. And that's, and I, I like that approach though, because you're not necessarily railroading them, but you're also not letting them jump into the deep end without any type of safety rails. Right. I think sometimes the safety rails, although great, can lead into it can it can lead into some form of I don't know, maybe some form of distress because they don't have anything to base their character off or the world or any of that. Yeah, I think it really depends on the kind of players you get. I mean, some people really like the open world aspect and exploring and making all these meaningful, sometimes unexpected decisions, but you know, other people are just trying to escape from real life for a little bit and sort of dive into a different world and just Absolutely. sort of live in it. Yeah. I agree. I, I agree with that. I believe that sometimes we as dungeon masters tend to look at players um, from the perspective of their character. And we sometimes forget that the player may just be here to kind of spend a couple of hours with friends and get a little bit of that social interaction. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Versus we don't, we look at it as, Oh, we want you to really enjoy yourself in this world and we don't see that happening. So are we doing something wrong? Yeah. It's really important to, as a DM to really pay attention to your players. And sometimes it, you know, you don't have to, look up advice on the internet to follow or follow a specific kind of DM style. It really depends. Um, everyone's different. Every group is different. That's very true. And that's where I think a lot of us have to remember that we as a collective group of dungeon masters are always needing to accommodate that right we we need to yeah. accommodate and and i'll extend it not only from the DD realm but for uh game masters like we need to essentially understand that okay we are here to cater um not only to the character that the player is essentially expressing themselves living in the world but to the player themselves because the player is here to um to gain something, whether it's entertainment, whether it's a little bit of escapism or just a really fun story to tell with uh, their friends. So yeah. I don't know. I, I think about that often. I don't know what you think about that. I, I think that's very accurate. You, you always have to remember the person behind everything. I mean, that's, that's a really good way to approach life, really. True. Um, every time you do something, you talk to someone, you go to work or you know, anything you're doing, it's really coming down to the person behind the, th the things you do. For and sure. Remembering that everyone's just people living their lives and trying to make the best of it. You're not wrong. And I feel that oftentimes, you know, we, we have to remind ourselves of that. But with that being said, right, you, you've been running these games, you've been kind of telling your story and um, 
how did you then start drawing and making this beautiful artwork because i'm i'm actually not not to <laughs> not to shamelessly plug your patreon or your page but i'm taking you know a look at this page and it's beautiful there are so many beautiful pieces of artwork and your patreon itself i know and and please feel free to talk about it um <laughs> But it's really good, and the benefits are really good for the price that you're paying. So, how did you? How did you? Of course, no. How? So, how did you <laughs> link that? Right? How did you connect and become, you know, this dungeon master that's you know playing and catering, like you said, to your players, and then now this artist in the D and D community. What what prompted you to do that? Well, it's kind of like a a D and D snowball or a D and D flywheel. Um, it starts out really small. Um, it starts with you. Well, at least for me, I I wasn't using a, a module or anything specific that was official. I was always more into creating my own world and sort of making it up as I go along, or at least as much as I could, uh, mostly because I was worried about consistency. I didn't want to mess up and throw out factual errors. So I was more comfortable just making things up. And if something was wrong, then I can make up other reasons for why that was the way it was. So everything was made up. And eventually I had to make up items because they needed artifacts to chase. So I started with really simple, casual homebrew that I would just post on the internet and Eventually, I decided I wanted to try monetizing it. I tried drawing for it, and that kept on snowballing into a Patreon and Instagram, and now I'm here. That's really awesome to hear because I, I, I find it in the community, a lot of talented dungeon masters, artists, players, whatever, you know, everyone in this community has a beautiful talent. And sometimes they get a <laughs> little, and I don't know what your opinion on this is, and I would love to hear it. They get a little shy about the monetizing aspect of D&D. And I always like to encourage folks to not be afraid to do it because it's one of those things that if you are talented and want to essentially pay for your hobby, this is a great way to give back to the community, right? There, there are people who are willing to pay for your products. I mean, obviously, I, I look at your, um, I look at your Patreon page and your Instagram, and I'm and I'm really, you know, blown away by the artwork. I love. I mean, right now I'm looking at the dragon's mouth, which kind of looks like that uh, Venus flytrap, but on steroids. <laughs> um, and I love it because it's something that I would use in my game. I would run that as an encounter for sure. Um, and, and spend the whole session running that encounter and writing the lore behind it and find, you know, maybe, maybe one of the party members goes and tries to attack it, or maybe someone tries to, you know, uh, what's the word or what's the spell? Is it a pl not plant growth, but it's Blight? that, or like it speak with it's speak um, with plants. Yes. Speak with plants. Like that would be <laughs> it kind does of have a mouth. It does. So maybe it can communicate some sort of um, something, right? So I think it would just be really cool to see that. And I see that, again, you you come from this background of, okay, what do I, what do my players need? 
right? What do I need to do to cater to that? And, oh, I have this ability. So I'm going to create items for them and and go from there. I just, I don't know. I just find that really unique and really cool. And I really appreciate, you know, folks like yourself doing that in this community, like stepping up and and doing that and telling their story. I think it's really dependent on the kind of talents or sort of tools that you start with. I don't think when I started, I was by any stretch an artist. I wasn't trained um, in art at all. I didn't go to school for that. Um, But I I was tangentially trained um, in architecture. So I I went to school for architecture and I did have to take some of the art skills to learn some of that. So I, I wasn't a creative art person per se, but I had the ability to sort of learn and I had a steady hand and I was able to get started. And that process of just getting started took about five or so months. Um, Because at the beginning, it was no one was really there. Like you don't have any followers. Mm -hmm. It was all just a struggle to um, put yourself out there. Uh, I think it's really important when you first start to study other creators in that same space, because it's always a learning process. And not only do you have to learn how to make something, you also have to learn how to market yourself. For sure. And looking at the the very famous, quote unquote, famous or talented artists out there, you kind of see what their strategies are. Sometimes you can ask them and they might tell you, they give you some tips. And eventually, if you keep going at it for long enough, you'll you'll end up somewhere. Now, you mentioned that sometimes, you know, relying on other folks in the community to kind of like not relying, but rather kind of leaning on for the moment. Um, did you do a lot of that or in this community specifically or were there people outside of the community that you leaned on? I think I leaned mostly from the community. Um because outside the community, I, I don't think I knew too many people who may be experienced in this area. Okay. Um, a lot of times it was going for advice on marketing, um, mm-hmm. how to get your posts out there, um, what sort of tools they may have used to make something. And, you know, eventually... Newer, newer creators will also ask you those same things and you kind of give it back. Well, okay. So in, in that sense, it was kind of like a, this holistic approach to it, right? Where you, you know, you wanted to, ha- you had this idea, you essentially started other people in the community helped you out. And then now you've kind of shown and given that advice out as well. Correct. Is that? Yeah. The community is pretty great actually. There's a lot of creators out there and they're all generally willing to help. They're all generally really nice. I would absolutely agree with that. Um, so speaking on that though, especially kind of learning from these other creatives in the community, I'd love to know about your creative process, right? I'd love to know what it's like now creating <laughs> these magic items or any of these items for D&D. So I think... I don't, I don't know how other creators um, make their content. I think 
when you sort of look on the internet for advice on being creative, it, they often tell you to like go with your gut or, or just iterate something. I think for me, I especially enjoy constraints. Mm-hmm. I think that's something that really helps me create something unique and special. Um, so that's why I have a lot of themes. I usually stick to a theme and a theme is usually a month long so that I really have to like think hard about what relates to that theme. And then once I got a theme, I just start throwing out a lot of ideas. I like to mm. use keywords that relate to the theme. So for example, last month we had a beach theme. So I was thinking about everything that you could see at a beach, feel at a beach or experience at a beach. You got all these activities, um, marine animals that could live there, uh, even like sky colors, um, ocean terms, um, any beach related terms, beach resorts. And I write all of that down. Mm -hmm. And then I just go back and I take a look and see, hey, maybe this could be an item. Maybe this could be a monster. Maybe this could be a, a subclass. That'd be cool. Yeah, I saw uh, the Circle of Tides. I think that's yeah. a really cool. Um, I really like that idea and that design. And I can see here there's a there, and I I believe this month is uh div, is the divine. So it's pretty yeah. cool how you've incorporated like one of the pieces is crown judgment. That's really cool eulogy, um, which makes sense, especially like it would deal with the divine. Um. But oh, I think one of the one of the things that could really help is you can always borrow from everything you've made before. True. Um, so for this month, it's the divine. It's all based on the gods, mm-hmm. and a lot of these gods were I they, I came up with them um, last year or for any of the other themes, and I've only just now started putting them together. Um, there's no reason to start totally fresh. You can always take something you had and just make it better and keep iterating. And I like that idea, kind of re, you know, reuse and repurpose because it's okay to do that, right? You sometimes exactly. might get a better, and I don't know, in, in your opinion, I've noticed that there are times like a topic that I've touched as a dungeon master um, or as a content creator, however you want to call it, I've talked about it and then I revisit the topic with a different, you know, set of eyes, right? You kind of think, oh, well, after implementing, you know, this mechanic, I now wonder about XYZ. I'm going to give an Mm. example from Mm -hmm. folks from my Discord. So shout out to the Bearded Nerd Discord. Uh, We were having a conversation. Well, I'll send you an (laughs) invite to that too, so that you can come and hang out with us because we have a good time. Yeah. Um, but we were having a discussion about mechanics, especially with, you know, crits or natural 20s. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that one of our uh, members was talking about was that they, instead of doubling the dice, they roll one dice at full damage and then, or rather, they calculate one dice at full damage and then they roll the other one instead of just doubling the dice, you know straightforward or or doubling the result that in my opinion that makes more sense from a thematic perspective who does who wants to roll a d8 or a d10 on a a one and get a one and then only double it to two um 
So I personally like that. But again, it's something last year I would not have thought about because that dialogue, that um, connection might not have been made. So I, again, I, I, I love what you're saying about that, kind of revisiting some of those topics and some of those ideas later down the road. Yeah, and I love how D&D 5e has all these flexible interpretation of the rules, you know? Oh, yeah. Like, it's pretty easy to just up a crit if you want to. And even there's two ways to interpret crits, right? You either double damage or roll twice as many dice. Mm -hmm. And it really kind of comes down to what kind of group you're playing with. And if everyone's happy with it, yeah, go for it. Well, I think, and I, and I love how you mentioned that because at the end of the day, it's going to be, um, it's going to be table to table based. Um, that's why like adventures league is great, but I don't think adventures league would be something my players and I would participate in often because we do things so differently. We are a very homebrew group, but it's not a knock on um adventures league and what you mentioned about fifth edition being so it fifth edition is very fluid in the mechanics right you can mm-hmm. do a lot with it and obviously now with dragon lance coming out uh spell jammer spell jammer uh, I'm, I'm really excited. excited oh my gosh i'm so excited for it but <laughs> i also know not that i did some digging but i also know that you have uh, a really big uh book you i think it's like over a hundred something pages, but you get, you have traveler's guide to the cosmos. And I'd like to talk about that because I feel like right now would be a great time for folks to consider looking into it, especially with spell jammer, something that you can add in addition to spell jammer. Do you mm-hmm. mind talking a little bit about it? Sure. Um, it's actually, a, I was working on this way before they announced spell jammer. So, Oh, no, kidding. that was a weird surprise to, sort of hear that coming out because they haven't done Spelljammer in what seven years right since D&D 5e first released they, I didn't think they were going to go for it so I was like All right, I gotta make my own they have not done Spelljammer <laughs> actually let me let me confirm but I'm gonna I don't think they've done Spelljammer since like two or something oh no the original like, Spelljammer like second third gener- uh, second or third edition I think yeah. Yeah. And I, there were a lot of people who really wanted spell jammer in 5e and they, they haven't done I it. I was, I was one then. of them. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. It's like there's a whole world out there to explore and we're still stuck on the same planet. So now we're getting something, which is great. Um, but my, my cosmos thing, uh, it's, uh, like you said before, it's like 130 pages, um, lots of player races, um, subclasses, spells, items, starships, a bunch of the new stuff that I personally would love to just run. And I'm actually preparing to run a campaign set in that universe. Um, my goal for D&D content is usually and maybe often uh, making something really simple because I always enjoyed how simple the 5e rules are mm-hmm. uh, because there are, are there are a lot of things that they the designers could have added to 5e 
but kind of chose not to or relegated them to optional rules so that it's at a first glance, it's not as difficult to understand. So my goal for my Cosmos Compendium was to add Starship rules that were relatively easy and hopefully simple to play through. Um, and the thing I loved most about that is I had a, I designed a modular Starship creation system so that you can make Starships in any shape or format you want. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And then you can fly them and have big old battles with all the people, all the enemies. That's really awesome because before Spelljammer came out, which again, the last time Spelljammer was officially out was second edition. Um, there were modifications for Spelljammer uh, in third edition, but other than that, I could not find anything. And again, folks, you can comment down below if I'm misspeaking. Um, but honestly, that's the last time there was a Spelljammer-esque um module or compendium or anything of that nature so it's yeah. really cool to see that we that you know folks in the community are kind of taking the, those ideas of hey i wonder if there would be some sort of i don't know you know alternative yeah thank different. you something an alternative because let's be real there are great things about fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> and then there are things that fifth edition does, which require homebrewing. Let's call it that way. Right. Um, Cause let's look at the 20th level fighter. If you look at the 20th level fighter, the ability that they have is four attacks, right? That's yep. the main versus the wizard who can basically, you know, produce meteors from the sky it's kind of it's not as balanced right versus like a pat like pathfinder second edition like there, there's there's different things so it's right, the martial caster disparity yeah yeah i mean like it's hard because i love playing martial character like builds right i'm but i usually play paladins because i love the paladin um yeah i am well, here's probably, the funny here's the interesting thing or maybe a conspiracy. Um, Ooh, I like conspiracies. Because <laughs> when I look at the disparity between a fighter and a wizard, um, I've looked at a lot of items that have been released for D&D, &D, all the official books. I, I do see a lot more weapons yes. for items. So in my head, I'm wondering if maybe the marshals were designed to have items to sort of balance out against the casters hmm could you ex could like let's dive deeper into that because i've never heard that theory and it sounds like it's probably not true but yeah, yeah but but let's let's <laughs> talk let's entertain it this this is literally the conversations we have like on discord so i gotta send you that link so okay think of me up let's say uh the flame tongue right it's the most i guess the busted weapon for sure um 2d6 fire damage per hit i mean on in the hands of a fighter level yeah, 20 fighter that's that's huge um i think some of the best items for wizard might just give them more spells or increase their save dc 
So, I mean, I, I don't know. There's so many items out there. There might be something that is really useful. But to me, I think if the magic items are strong enough, if they're, if they're designed correctly, I think martial classes could probably make use of them and edge out against magic casters. Okay, so basically, just just so that I can understand and, and, and kind of ensure that I'm not speaking ill, because <laughs> I don't want to confuse I don't want to confuse myself mostly. Um, the martial abilities that we have in fifth edition with the combined with some of the weapons and magic items in fifth edition are really powerful compared to or not compared, but alongside those abilities of you know the wizard or the sorcerer or you know whatever caster so in yeah. that sense it kind of balances it out so it's more in the hands of so it's more of a combination of hey the fighter right in this case is very skilled at fighting and therefore we're going to provide yeah. a weapon that is going to make them which is going to bring that skill up it's going to not only enhance the skill but complement the skill right and then their flavor as a fighter still remains a non-magical combatant right they don't have to get any magic to sort of match up with the wizard the casters okay just a theory i like it though i like the theory and i like theory crafting because in my opinion i mean that's how i that's how i create magic items right so as a world builder i consider myself a world builder first and a dungeon master second so when i create magic items right i look at Mm -hmm. I, i i propose a theory i say why can't for example we have a ring and and this is just a ring that's in my own game. It's called the Ring of Dragon Kind. Um, and essentially what it is is that it allows you to one, speak draconic, but two, it allows you to uh essentially roll at random, but it allows you to have either a chromatic or a metallic, you know, dragon breath. So whether it's the line or the cone or whatever it may be, but it allows you to have that. You don't know what it is. You don't know what it's going to be because you roll a D10. Um, and then I have a chart that goes along with it. But th- I don't know. I, I thought, you know, that theory crafting came from, huh, why not? What would happen if in someone in my world saw one of these dragonborn and their breath weapon and said, huh, I want to recreate that. And then goes and, <laughs> you know what I mean? And then goes and engineers it, creates an item to do that. They I don't also know. I, th- I think of things ring, like that. Do they put a ring on a stick and kind of blow bubbles through it and it comes out as a breath weapon? Hey, you know what? They, <laughs> they you know, they could, you could, or you could have, and that's the beauty of lore and world building, right? Who would have been, who's the person that created this ring? And then had to test it, right? Did they, <laughs> well, and let's think about it. Did they force someone to test it? And then now you have a little bit of malicious intent, not malicious intention, but you have now whatever serves the greater good. Or do you have that same you know, person who basically tested it on whoever and didn't care because they wanted power. They wanted to become, you know, like these individuals or you know, where, where do you go? It dep- It just depends on how the, I feel personally that 
when you create a magic item, at least in my world, in my experience, the story mm-hmm. behind it is what makes it really, really cool. Like the yeah, the description's yeah. awesome, yes, but the story behind it, why did they do that? I always find it interesting. Uh, I love seeing other people's work, all their items, and sometimes it just pops into your head like, oh, this probably had really extensive lore. Maybe, maybe an evil mage in the distant lands made this. Oh and yeah, it fills your head all these fantasies. Yeah, absolutely. Like uh, I have one item called the Quill of Convincing. Um, it was one of the first items, and it was actually because it were, there it was a uh, politician. There was a tiefling politician. Um, who wanted to basically, and, and they, you know, they they became uh, a warlock at this moment where what happened is that they needed to, they wanted to essentially create these binding contracts um, and essentially, and essentially gain this power. So the, you know, they kind of made this pack with this, uh, I forget if it's a demon or devil, what was, Oh, is it, devils that make contracts or is it de- I, I don't remember it's devils okay devils yeah so you know they're you know they're packed their patron is a devil so it, it's pretty cool it's, it's just one of these things that you kind of like as a dungeon master game master you know whatever level uh whatever experience level and i'd love to hear your opinion on this when you're creating an item have a theme around it have something you want it to do no matter what it is have have something to guide you yeah, I think when you come up with items, having a story behind it really like helps you choose the traits, the benefits, what fits a theme. And the added benefit is when your players get this item, they can also infer some of that backstory and then your world becomes that much richer. True. I, I agree with that. Um, Do you have any items that you're designing that you're still waiting to spring on your players? Oh yeah. Um, there's one called blood drainer. Um, I actually have to have that ready for my session. Um, in the next 24 hours, actually. Let me guess. Does it drain blood? So what it does (laughs) funny enough, um, and that's just, and you know, with blood drainer, it's kind of a, I just put temporary names and then go from there, but I like blood drainer because what it does it, t- it uses the blood from its victims to heal the person that's attuned to it. Um, mm. So it quite literally drains their blood little by little. It also doesn't help or it doesn't, you know, by the time this is posted, probably the players will have already learned this. Um, but the owner of said weapon is a vampire. He is a vampire of very high level and esteem in the world. So the campaign that I've been running has been running for about six years now. Um, oh, excellent. Yeah. With groups of players coming in and out of the game and influencing the world. So blood drainer is one of those weapons that was not called blood drainer, but it was a different weapon. And essentially this person, this vampire um, stole the weapon, essentially cursed it and manipulated it like it was a sentient it was it's actually really sad because in the lore it was the the person you know it was a rapier so Mm -hmm. the person who owned it was a an amazing duelist and they shared a very similar personality of you know very Uh, proud very 
like the sentient, the weapon itself was sentient and it loved its, you know, its partner. It's, yeah. it's, it's the person that used it. And then one day that person was, you know, murdered and the, and blood drainer didn't know what was going on and it started to become cursed and bitter. And then basically against its will, it started to heal this individual. So it's going to be really mm-hmm. interesting during the attunement process. If the player chooses to keep the weapon the way it is, or if it decides to remove the curse and what would happen if it removes the curse? Turns back into a regular sentient rapier? Maybe. I don't know yet. That's the thing. No one in it's this group of these group of players have been really cool and really unique in their in, in the way they play because they're very selfless. This is a very interesting group of players that I've never dealt with players like this. Not just not to badmouth any other players <laughs> that I've had, but a lot of times, you know, and it's it's normal to to go into the self-interest of, you know, in your own self-interest. These players are really dedicated towards yeah, their goals, but what can they do within the world that would benefit the world? So, as a dungeon master, I feel like it is my obligation and my duty to reward that type of behavior. So I, I don't know. I might That's I might great. keep the healing ability and work it into the lore of my world, or but maybe may not make it as powerful because again, it's a you know it was a cursed item. Maybe what I'll do is I'll instead um, restore some healing and restore some some spell slots. Yeah, you could give it alternative stats that was what the rapier was before it was cursed to like with different stats um and if you heal the rapier remove the curse you could theoretically start off on a long quest to maybe find the original duelist maybe you get some peace for that poor weapon yeah no that there's a lot of cool things that you can do with that i um and love I, it yeah man I, i'm telling you this this is the type this is the type of stuff that we think of as dungeon masters. But um, before again, before we end this episode, I do want to definitely talk about uh, Traveler's uh, Guide to the Cosmos and really just solidify like this is so good. Like I'm looking at a lot of the information, so I'm here on Drive Through RPG, which again, folks, I will be placing this. Um, in the actual description of the podcast itself. So that way you can go and look, you know, look at it yourself, but it three player races, six subclasses, 22 spells, 34 items, 31 monsters and NPCs. That's really amazing to just, and for the price that it's at, uh, that's really good. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Do you want to, do you want a copy of it? You know, check it out before Spelljammer comes up because I'm curious to see how Spelljammer will deal with their their ships. Because yeah, I would love a copy of it. Very different. I I, I would definitely love a copy of it. I'd like to at least read it through and kind of give it my own bearded nerd review, so to speak, and 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 kind of just look at it through there. So we can definitely talk about that. Um, But yeah, no, love um, a game called FTL. Have you heard of it? No, I have not. It's a roguelike, but the important thing about FTL is you pilot a spaceship 
with the crew and the battles happen in real time. You control your crew moving around the spaceship while battling other ships and going on adventures. So if anyone's listening knows what FTL is, the combat in Traveler's Guide to the Cosmos is pretty much like that. Okay, awesome. Um, I got to check that out and we got to see how that, because again, I love incorporating other mechanics into fifth edition to see how it, you know what I mean? Like the compatibility of it. I think that would be really unique because um, I, I, I'm not going to lie. I read Pathfinder material to see how I can add it into fifth edition. Yeah. A lot of the Cosmo stuff that in the compendium should be, most of it should be uh, setting agnostic. Oh, cool. So, so you can plug and play it wherever you want. Yeah. That's the, that's always the goal whenever I make something. Awesome. Well, this is what this is what we're going to do, folks. We are going to place those links in the description um, of the episode and also make sure that uh, we place uh, anything like Linktree and things of that nature there so that not only you can follow um, on Instagram, but you can check out the Patreon page and check out everything else, because um, I really do think that this is definitely worth your time if you're trying to save time and you really want to have a uh, a true compendium of information and of things that you can use in your game it's definitely it's worth at least checking out so i'll definitely place the links in the description uh below but kp i appreciate you coming on for the show i really do um again i can't wait to connect more with you and and see what we can do for the community because i feel like we could there's some stuff we can do but um folks i appreciate you listening if you haven't already please subscribe to the podcast. We love and we appreciate your viewership and your support of the show. It really means a lot to us. Uh, Let us know what other episodes or topics you would like for us to talk about in the uh, comments below and give us a five-star rating. But again, folks, be kind and compassionate to one another. And as always, folks, keep gaming. (music) 